last week on Straight Talk Africa, you talked about uh, uh, the Congo, uh, what's going on in the Congo, the upcoming elections, uh, how the opposition uh, and uh, and the other parties involved are being treated uh, leading into this uh, election. Uh, let me get uh, a quick assessment of what's going on in Congo from your perspective. Well, according to the Congolese uh, constitution, Kabila... President Joseph Kabila is uh, expected to end his second term in November, meaning you have elections and, of course, a new president. But apparently, he seems to really be up to something else, and uh, that has been, in a sense, uh, been reinforced by the fact that uh, the Supreme Court of the DRC has pretty much ruled in his favor. It says that uh, he can stay in office until circumstances are such that the country can hold a presidential and a general elections. When you look at uh, how much money has been spent on uh, this process, uh, you look at uh, how much people were looking forward to having a new government uh, in place. Uh, when leaders start doing those kinds of things, what is really going on behind the scenes? You see, part of the problem uh, is that um, in countries like the DRC and a lot of other African countries, yes, we hear that uh, they hold periodic elections. But the question is, are those elections in fact credible? Are they free? Are they fair? Do the results at the end of the day reflect the will of the people that participated in the process? That's the elephant in the room. What makes uh, 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 Congo's story so unique this time around? There's nothing unique about Congo. If there is anything, in fact, in terms of its uniqueness, is that uh, it's been a bit consistent. It starts, in fact, with uh, the colonial period, when uh, the Belgian Congo was, in fact, a personal property of the king of Belgium, and he caused a lot of scandal uh, by massacring a lot of people because they were not uh, meeting the type of quota system that he wanted in terms of extracting rubber uh, and other things that eventually made, of course, Belgium rich and uh, made the Belgian Congo poor. Then you have independence in 1960. Briefly, you have uh, Patrice Emery Rumumba as the Prime Minister and Head of Government. Then you have uh, Joseph Kasavubu as President, uh, Head of State, Commander in Chief of the Armed Forces. Then you have Mobutu Seseseko, Commander. <laughs> um, then, of course, you had um, someone else called Moise Shombe in Katanga. Interestingly, today, Paul, you do have another Moise from Katanga. Except that this time around, his last name is not Shombe. Mm. It is Katumbi. Katumbi apparently threatens the power structure in Kinshasa. He is overwhelmingly supported by the opposition in the country. In effect, frankly, he should be the next president of the Democratic Republic of Congo if you had an election that is free, fair, and credible, but it looks like uh, the powers that be uh, wouldn't give him, you know, that opportunity because they seem to have other ideas.
as of uh, today, they are talking about uh, ex uh, actually extending uh, his term uh, for one more year because they don't have the resources. Uh, you can imagine a country like Congo that has all the minerals that you can think about doesn't have enough resources to conduct this election. The issue is not really about not having funds because if that is the case, this should have been known much earlier before, you know, uh, coming to the end of the constitutional allowable time for his reign in office. I think what other people have been saying is that he may in fact be using administrative uh, structures, uh, administrative ways of doing things, uh, so that uh, he can buy a little bit of time and in the process, probably, you have the major opposition figure, Moise Katumbi, being actually charged in the courts of laws. Uh, you could end up having, in fact, uh, a charge of treason, perhaps. They are trying to put him in a situation where they could justify uh, having something legal against him, something that, in fact, uh, could put him away for quite some time so that he doesn't have the opportunity to participate in the next election if, it, if at all it is going to be held, or a crime such as that, it would actually make him perhaps electorally ineligible or constitutionally ineligible to compete for the presidency. And then he could probably step aside, some, uh, some critics have been saying, allow his wife, Olive Kabira, perhaps to succeed him, or his sister, Janet Kabira, succeed him. Janet, in fact, is a member of parliament as we talk. I think uh, Kabira maybe is on the right track, because when you look at uh, the examples of Uganda, what uh, the Ugandan uh, uh, leader is doing to his opposition, uh, especially Colonel Chiza Besije, and you look across in Rwanda what Paul Kagame has done to uh, Victoria Ingavire. Uh, Kabira is probably reading from uh, the same uh, uh, textbook. Uh, your thoughts on that? Well, I couldn't agree with you more, Paul, because when you think about it, uh, some of these guys, once they get in power, they are not tolerant of opposition groups. They want a monopoly. So you are right in saying that... Uh, he probably has borrowed a leaf or learned from uh, some of his senior colleagues in the region. Uh, Shaka, you've had an opportunity to uh, interact uh, with uh, President uh, Kabira. Uh, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to interact with uh, um, Mohise Katombe, but uh, what makes uh, Kabila uh, the kind of man uh, he, that he is? Frankly, at the beginning, I thought that he was on the right course that he was probably the right man at the right time in the right place. But unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of uh, developments and facts and what have you uh, have tended to contradict that kind of earlier perception that I had. Well, some people have said, of course, that uh, people change. After all, society is dynamic. It is not static. But, you know, I believe, as somebody once said, that becoming a president does not change you really rather it reveals you you get the opportunity to show who you actually are and maybe what we are looking at right now is what joseph kabira is
how about those uh, our critics who say that uh, perhaps maybe uh, what uh, uh, Kabila is bringing to the table is that uh, he has managed to institutionalize corruption. Uh, I guess if I was to use uh, this saying that uh, says absolute power corrupts uh, absolutely, where this guy has been in power for a long time and he feels that uh, he doesn't have to go anywhere or give up that power because once he gives it up, uh, people are going to come after him because of what he has been able to do in at least the last uh, 10 or so years. Well, when you look, of course, uh, at uh, a lot of indicators, really, or indices for that matter, um, they will tell you that uh, the DRC is one of the most corrupt countries on earth. Um, in fairness to Kabila, really, uh, he did not begin that trend in the Democratic Republic of Congo, even when the country was known as Zaire, under Mobutu Seseko Wazabanga, it had that reputation. Frankly, it, you could say that uh, the norm is simply to be a corrupt society. That is the way it works. That is the way it functions. It's very sad to learn that for a country that is the largest, at least in terms of territory, in sub-Saharan Africa, a country that is arguably in terms of resources one of the richest, one of the most wealthiest piece of real estate anywhere on this planet Earth, yeah. its income per capita for each person per year is $380. $380. And yet, when you look at the Panama Papers, yeah. there are rumors that uh, you probably have over a billion dollars that, that is associated to the Kabira family or family and friends. Mm -hmm.